Welcome to the Oral Surgery Fight Club podcast. This is a collection of mock cases in the field of oral and maxillofacial surgery in a question and answer format conducted on Zoom. Enjoy. Let me share my screen here. Are you still, are you at your parents' place, Greg? Yeah, childhood bedroom. <laughs> that's, that's awfully cool, man. Yeah. All right. So what do we got today? We got dental alveolar, huh? Mm. Mm -hmm. Albana, our cases might overlap just because. Uh, yeah. I, no, no, I, I didn't figure out what, what you were doing, but I did something similar. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, cool. No worries. Um, dental alveolar should be straightforward, though. Again, it's an exam of what would you do as long as you stick to what you would do. Like most everybody is going to pass on the dental alveolar section unless you're, <clears throat> you know, suggesting some ridiculous things, which maybe I'll push Greg into here, but Hello. we'll see. <laughs> okay. All right. 902. Okay. So you get a 12-year-old female who walks in your office. Uh, your assistant already took a panoramic x-ray, but she's referred to you for some impacted teeth. She doesn't have a past medical, um, surgical, social, no meds, nothing like that. Um, can you describe what you see here? Sure. So this is a diagnostic panorex. Um, patient is, uh, has full complement of maxillary teeth. Uh, impacted uh, 11 and uh, 6 coming around seems like uh, lost or congenitally missing uh, number 20 um, and delayed eruption of number 29. Uh, patient has a lingual holding arch um, as well. Yeah, sure. Um, so when do the canines typically erupt? Uh, maxillary canine somewhere in the like 11 to like 13, depending on the patient's dental age, mandibular a little earlier. So the, the patient and their mother don't really want, um, they don't want to even talk about surgical options. They're sort of asking you if they can wait some amount of time for these things to erupt. Um, I would like to obtain additional imaging, but uh, I would be highly motivational to address these as uh, it's actually a little late um, to have them not erupt yet. And I explained to the patient that, you know, these teeth, when uh, not coming in properly, they can actually do a lot of damage to the other teeth. Sure. Um, how would you assess? Uh, where they are in the mouth. Let's say your cone beam CT, uh, your assistant tells you cone beam CT is down, doc. We sure. can't get one. Um, there will often be a bulge, uh, either on the palatal or on the buckle um, that you can kind of use to triangulate the teeth. Uh, if that's unclear, you can uh, either take an occlusal film or uh, multiple periapicals. Uh, use the slob rule to orient them. What is the slob rule? So it's a uh, effect of 
the um, window of the radiation exposure, if you slide the um, uh, the collimeter of the X-ray over in a certain direction, if you go in that same, if the tooth moves in the same direction on the film, uh, it's on the same side. Uh, it's the lingual to whatever that other things are in the image. And if it goes in the other direction, it's buckle. So let's say you, you take those images and you determine that these teeth are actually labially uh, displaced. Um, how does that affect your surgical plan? So uh, depending on the height, um, it just determines which side you're going to approach these from. Um, generally, if they're impacted on the buckle, it's more of a, a crowding concern. So I would make sure there's enough space preoperatively, talk to the orthodontist, uh, make sure we're on the same page about how we're going to expose these and um, you know whether they want the chain or some people want the spring, et cetera. Uh, the orthodontist says, you know, if you can get this tooth to just erupt, you know, uh, that'd be preferred. Is there any way we could do it without a bracket and chain? Um, I would say no for a buckle. Okay. The, the orthodontist also asks you, what kind of flap design are you thinking? So, um, these look to be up near the apices of the lateral incisors, but obviously I'd have, you know, other x-rays to make sure. Um, most likely I would have to do this as a closed approach. Um, just because of the degree of, uh, like, I guess the height of how high they are up. Um, so I would do a full thickness mucoperiosteal flap, expose the teeth, remove follicle, uh, place buttons on both of them. How far, then, how far do you remove bone? Uh, just uh, up to the CEJ, no further. Do you luxate the tooth when you do this? I don't uh, for routine. Um, what materials do you use? Um, I use um, uh, insert orthodontic uh, adhesive that I forget what it's called. Um, but I'll use an etch, a uh, primer, and a, I use a light cure. Uh, some people use glass ionomer, but that's not what we have in the office. Let's say you expose the tooth and things, are just, things just keep bleeding around it you can't isolate it and your assistant is not really your assistant your main assistant is out that day so you have uh just a, a temp who doesn't really uh she can't isolate the field very well for you so um in the past i've either like taken a gauze and packed it around the crown of the tooth or uh take like a cotton roll uh rip up uh soak it in uh local or you know um vasoconstrictor and you can kind of pack that around the crown of the tooth to help with hemostasis as long as you count the little pieces so you don't leave anything behind hmm. uh, so you manage to do that you isolate the tooth um what material are you using to secure the bracket 
Yeah, that's a, the one I forgot. Uh, it's an oh, adhesive, okay. light cure adhesive. Okay. Um, your assistant actually tells you at this moment you don't have any brackets. Uh, she asks you and, and also tells you that at her last practice, the, the oral surgeon used a circumdental wire. Would you use a circumdental wire? No. Why not? Um, it can cause uh, resorption of the root. It can cause uh, bone loss around the crown of the tooth. It's just no good. Um, I would, I if I have just a standard orthodontic bracket, uh, I would probably use something like that instead if you have those around the office. Sure. So uh, that patient ends up leaving. You're going to do the procedure another day. Okay. Um, your assistant tells you you're getting a call from a potential referring dentist. You've worked really hard to get this guy's uh, uh, business and take care of his patients along with him. But he says he does a lot of oral surgery and TMJ stuff himself. Um, he says he did a, you know, a, a nice residency and uh, he'd, he'd like to speak to a fellow expert such as yourself. Um, he has several questions about a third molar he's about to take out. Okay. Uh, he says, what are some of the possible complications I might see from an IAN block? Um, so IAN block, you can lead to obviously paresthesia, hematoma, infection in the uh, tergomanibular space. You can get a uh, broken needle um and he goes he goes doc you know I'm, I'm not saying i've i've done it but i had a close friend who broke off a needle in the in the terror in the you know somewhere in the muscle there how would i get it out saying if i did break a needle off so i think it's unlikely for you to be able to identify that yourself but at least he goes no no i i can identify it i was trained in oral surgery you can take a cbct to see where it is but uh personally i would rather uh involve uh like a interventional radiology group at a hospital um because i'd be afraid me pushing it deeper into the space uh blindly looking for it so okay fluoroscopy he... to find it and grab it he doesn't like the idea of referring the patient out. He says, you know, is there, uh, he, he thanks you for your time and he does all he can for the patient. And, uh, the patient arrives in your chair three hours later. Um, the, the patient, you know, is, is in a considerable amount of pain and he calls you up again saying, you know, I, I got most of the crown out. Don't bill the patient for this. Um, but could you handle this? Um, we managed to get the following x-ray. Can you describe what's there? Um, looks to be partially extracted wisdom tooth that, uh, was full bony impacted. Um, it is, looks to be removed completely below the CEJ, uh, although not a hundred percent sure what's going on the mesial there. Um, but looks like just kind of the root remains. Yeah. Um, I, I would probably before getting involved, call the dentist again and just 
get a little more information about the preoperative uh, oh, yeah. situation, whether there was an abscess present, whether there was caries to the pulp on the tooth, anything like that. Yeah, he says, you know, the tooth was in the tooth wasn't really infected. She didn't have symptoms. It just looked like a, a third molar I needed to take out. I, hear. Um, I got most of it out, but usually I don't lay flaps for this. I don't really need to. Uh, I'm, I'm just very comfortable taking out third molars. It's just this sure. one I need your help with. Uh, don't, don't bill the patient. Sure. Is the patient still numb? Uh, yeah, the patient's, uh, she says her lower lip and chin is kind of tingling. Okay. She's also shaking in your chair. She's, she's very traumatized. Um, I think, you know, I would probably, as long as the patient's vitals are stable and they're, you know, willing to proceed while the patient has some local on board, I'd probably give a little bit more local, um, and just make sure that all the enamel has been removed. Uh, when you go in there, you don't see a, you don't see a root tip. No root tip. Okay. You don't see it. There's nothing left from the tooth. You don't see it there. Then I would probably just take another image to make sure. So you get a out. You get a cone beam. Oh, this <laughs> this is what you see. Your okay. assistant also says she's seen a lot of these at her last practice. Yeah. Um, at this point, I'd have a conversation with the patient, uh, explain to them that, you know, a root has been displaced into the submandibular space. Um, and I would examine the patient, see if I can palpate this. Uh, sometimes you can actually reorient it into the socket enough to grab it uh, manually. Mm -hmm. um so that's unsuccessful a, when you when you try that um again I, I would i would kind of run two options by the patient if i felt that i had a good grasp of where it was uh i would probably recommend with you know understanding that there is a risk to the lingual nerve to tunnel down on the lingual uh separate a little bit of the mylohyoid and grab the root uh intraorally versus uh, if the patient was kind of over it, I would probably uh, just let things fibrose. Um, How long would you let it fibrose? Honestly, I'd probably wait like three to six months uh, um, and then go in and get it. So uh, patient likes that option. That's a, that's a great thing. Um, you managed to get the root tip out through an intraoral method. Um, mm -hmm. But on follow-up a week later, um, the patient reports she's, she still has tingling of the lower lip and chin. How would you evaluate that? So um, I would start with level A, B, C neurosensory testing to determine the degree of injury, uh, you know, fine touch all the way to, you know, uh, temperature, et cetera. What would your uh, follow-up be? Um, like weekly with that. ABC. So I would start, yeah, you know, the first couple uh, every week, uh, you know, just to make sure the patient knows that they're being uh, prioritized and also probably give them a steroid the first week. 
get them on uh, some vitamins, uh, B-complex, um, monitor them closely, monitor any changes. And then after like the first few weeks, maybe give them a month. Um, yeah. uh, and at, at three months, follow recovery. At three months, I'd probably start talking to them about seeing a specialist if they're continued uh, neurosensory issues. Uh, maybe get an MRI and send them over to the local nerve guy. At, at what point would you want to send them to the nerve guy? How long? Um, I think with lingual nerve, probably like three months. Uh, the patient in the middle of all this follow-up asks you, hey, doc, um, could I sue my dentist for this? Um. I would tell the patient that as a rule, you know, I don't discuss these kind of things with uh, patients. Um, no, she, she really wants to discuss it, and she asks you. <laughs> that's not my place, unfortunately. Uh, I'm here to, you know, help you uh, get through this trial of a situation, uh, but I can't, I just can't get involved in that kind of stuff. <laughs> All right, that's the case. <laughs> All right. Uh, I was kind of messing with you there at the end, but yeah, yeah I know. That, was, that was a fair case. Yeah, I should have gotten the comb beam before I went into the wisdom tooth site, though. I know that. Oh, I I think from the beginning you did all the right things. I mean, you had everything. The canines, yeah, usually erupt somewhere between 11 and 13. I think with the position of these. I swear in Queens it's 10 to 12, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some populations is different. Some populations yeah. is different. Um, well, yeah, yeah. What's up? Hey, with, with the litigation question, I mean, that's that's something obviously that, that might come up in like the ethics portion. My question is, is like, is it fair to do what Greg says? Like, I don't discuss these things with patients or would you, Yeah. are you kind of, yeah. does it behoove you to actually what, address it, the problem? And I mean, you, know, you it, were there for the surgery. Yeah. yeah. What's up, Luke? I didn't know you were in here, man. Good to see you. I'm back. Uh, I'm back. Good to see you too. <laughs> uh, I think it's just what would you do? Like if if they were there in your clinic, I mean, you wouldn't say, "Yeah, sue the shit out of them." Um, you'd, you'd probably tell them, "Look, I, I, it's not my business. Like, I, I know what the situation was when you got to me, and we handled that as well as we could. Uh, any matters that you want to." discuss like you should take up with him directly i'm not at liberty to speak about it they'll i mean on the exam you're one of the uh one of the sections i, I think it's like a fast topic meaning they may pepper it in it may be a separate section entirely i don't i don't quite know but i i think uh knowing how to answer a couple professional questions it may just kind of pop up at the end of a section um, I, I thought Greg's answer was fine, but they may press you on it too. Like if you just say, you don't want to discuss, they may say, no, the patient demands you discuss it with them. Uh, got it. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, yeah I had one of these recently. Um, it was the impacted canine and, uh, I guess the orthodontist like didn't take a comb beam was just trying to create space. You can take our premolars, what's enough space, yeah. what's enough space. Finally, they get a comb beam, and seven and eight have 50% or 
or greater root resorption from the canine running into them. Oh, geez. So she's going to lose both those teeth. It's a mess. Yeah, that's no fun. Um, what else did we have here? Like open versus closed, uh, flap. Yeah, I like I like the apically positioned on the buckle one, but mm-hmm. uh, I feel like that's a little too high. Yeah, sometimes it is. You, I mean, whatever technique you do, just know the pros and cons of it. Like mm-hmm. the the open flap, you might um, you're going to lose some keratinized tissue. I I think you could. Um, I usually do do closed, but um, I'm not getting a whole ton of exposing bonds these days. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing how far to remove bone to the CEJ, uh, the materials you use. I know yeah, that, that, that I, I just blanking. I, I actually like have yeah. a picture on my phone so that I can like study the materials, but, uh, haven't done it yet. Yeah. It might not be crucial. It's just acid etch prime and bond. Um, if you're using like some flowable, I know some people yeah. like to use glass ionomer cause glass ionomer is hydrophilic. And even yeah. if there's like a bunch of blood or water, like you can still get it to, to bond, um, knowing that you have brackets beforehand, um, is a good thing. Don't use circumdental wires. Cause exactly what you said, external risk of external resorption. And then we go into, yeah, sort of professionalism and a third molar root tip displaced, which hopefully that we aren't getting every day, but you got to know how to handle. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was, I thought it was like, I mean, I, I get it now, but I was thinking that it was just like a deep tooth that they just like, yeah, get the roots out. Yeah. But. And that's, that's kind of the thing you may get a case. Um, you may be on a section and they might twist things around. I know we had a, a couple cases last week or the week before where we're in implants or something and it's you know, it gets spun around to professionalism or get, gets yeah. spun around into yeah. a completely different kind of case than what you were thinking. Um, yeah, they can I, make I, this like a, a champy plate case, you know, like, yeah, it, it, it be like a mandible fracture. The, the most important thing is, is just staying in that frame of mind of what would you do? Like if, yeah. I mean, you, you did everything right here based on the information you had. Um, mm-hmm. You could have gotten a cone beam earlier, but yeah, I think that's that's probably one thing I need to think about. But, but yeah. I mean, that's not going to, I mean, the result is going to be the same. It's mm-hmm. just you, you took a roundabout way to get there. Uh, and that's partly the other thing. As long as you're not killing the patient or completely missing that there is a displaced root tip, um, you'll probably do just fine. Um, you handle the professionalism part well like the don't bill the patient, um, you, uh, readministering local anesthesia. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you also answered his questions on the potential complications from an IAN block. <laughs> um, which you, you should know, like, uh, yeah. hopefully they're not happening, um, as much to us at this point. Um, mm-hmm. but knowing how to, uh, knowing that a hematoma could pop up, um, paresthesia. Um, I know at our program, we didn't like using septicane for nerve blocks, but you know, the, the rate of complication is so small, even with that. Yeah. Um, and then infection, broken needle, all that stuff. 
so once the root tip was displaced and you, you know, managed to get another image, um, yeah, this one's displaced into the, I'd say it's like sub lingual submandibular, submandibular. Cause I think in the rightmost image is yep. below the floor of the mylohyoid. Yep. Um, so you got that. It's, it's far back enough. Yeah. 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 Uh, what else do we have here? Oh, the paresthesia part. Uh, nerve testing. I know I, this is the part I'm probably least comfortable with is just nerve testing yeah. and watching, waiting, follow up. Um, I know when we were studying for it, Tarek wanted to go deep into like nerve grafting options. I'm like, dude, <laughs> if this is, if this is an exam of what would you do? Like, I don't do too much nerve grafting and I guess I could say I'd do it, but, uh, if you, if you oh, I also, part, I just realized <coughs> you were, you gave me lip numbness and I was talking about lingual, um, but it wasn't lingual nerves. Oh um, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was lower lip and chin numbness. Um, I, that was the I differentiator. You into my lingual, uh, <laughs> I kind of wanted to differentiate between what you were doing yeah. and what the dentist did before you. Oh, thanks. Um, and I, I meant it to be a, a complication from the dentist, but yeah, if it was mm -hmm. lingual nerve numbness, then, you know, um, that is an interesting question though. It, testing lingual nerve. Is it still two point brushstroke just on the side of the tongue? Mm -hmm. I think the, I mean, you, you distinguish like, I guess, subjective taste as like part of it. Um, and then I think taste, from, I don't know if I, yeah, I, yeah. I believe yeah. I need to like review this stuff, but I think the timelines for lingual are a little faster, uh, just because since it's not in a canal, you expect it to, yeah, it might need repair more it would refer earlier. I want to say. Whereas you I, give I, the mandibular a little more time, <laughs> it has like a conduit. Yeah, I, I guess they could uh, ask you about the course of the lingual nerve, um, mm. what it, where it comes from. Mm. Although I think that's that's pretty deep. If you're getting there, there, it's like, does anybody really know where the lingual nerve is? It's somewhere there. <laughs> yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, then the professionalism question, could I sue my dentist for this? Like any answer besides, you know, yeah, yeah I'll help you. I'll help you sue him yeah. <laughs> is probably fine. Um, I think a question, like just what that made me think of, like a question that I was, I wouldn't be sure like how the board would want you to see it is, you know, if a dentist has done like true, like malpractice, or like, you know, something that really is like completely inappropriate. Like, can you, is that something that you're obligated to tell the patient? Like your dentist should not have done this. I, I just don't know. I, me personally, I'd, I'd take it up with the dentist before I go to any, uh, before I go to any, any regulatory body but that's just yeah. from personal experience. And like, I think, I guess, is the board just going to want to see us like kind of politically dance around stuff and <laughs> as long as we're doing <laughs> that, like uh, they're, they're, they're happy or like, I don't think they'll get in. I, I don't think they'll get into a situation that deep, but okay. I don't know if they do it. 
I think any answer besides yes, I'll help you sue the dentist is, is a mm -hmm. decent answer. Okay. Um, I think, you know, some level of covering for your colleague for your colleagues, as long as it's not gross malpractice or sure. neg grossly negligent, it's fine. Um, but that's it. That's all I got. Cool. That was a good case. I like that one. Mm -hmm. Those are some good x-rays. You could go a lot of places with that first pan you showed. <laughs> yeah. 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 Share <clears throat> my screen. Banana. Hi. What's up? <laughs> oh, speaking of that, like, by the way, it's like, uh, I had a, um, my God, I had this, like, patient who the dent dentist, like, frantically called. They were like, I, hey, I did a, I did a GPR and like, I've taken out tons of wisdom teeth before. And I don't know. I just heard this like really loud crack. And I was like, okay. And yeah. he was like, so then I took a pan. I was like, okay. <laughs> like, I broke the jaw. <laughs> what the fuck? So I look at the panel. It's straight up a, like, like a 100% horizontally impacted tooth. No sectioning of the crown. And I was oh, like, oh no. That's awful. That's like, that's a fear of mine just because like, oh man, I, I was on an externship when, uh, I'm not going to say where I was on an externship when the second year, uh, was taken out a, a tooth and broke the jaw and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> that'd just be a, like a total wrench in your day. I mean, apart from, you know, poor patient, but, uh, geez. dude, I was like, what the fuck? And then I was like, um, <laughs> Cool. Yeah, just send the patient my way, and then, I, you know, I take care of the patient. And then he calls me out. I called him after to like let him know. And then, what'd you do? Like, put on arch bars? I just put arch bars on. That was yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, like uh, I, I'm talking to him, and he goes, "I'm just keeping a PC, you know, whatever." And like I didn't say anything. Doing <laughs> so, I was, uh, but then he goes, "Hey, so um, I just wanted to ask you, like." Um, did I do something wrong? <laughs> uh, well, no, no, everything's fine. No, it's, it, no, as I'm long like, as, <laughs> like, like, yeah. like, uh, I mean, like, like, well, he's like, like, what would you have done differently? I'm like, well, I would have probably started with sectioning the tooth, and then mm -hmm. he's like, I mean, he's been taking tons of teeth like like this out before, and I was like, um, yeah, I, I don't know if they were this impacted. This is like African American male, and he hadn't even like done a full disobuckle trough. Like, not like the entire CJ wasn't even like exposed before he started cranking on the jaw. Wow. Like, yeah, I was like, you know, I was like, there is a tooth on the other side. I said that looks exactly like this. I was like, I would recommend you send this to me, and then I will take care of it for you. So you don't it doesn't have the same. We we should write it up into a case report, like how to break the jaw at the angle quickly. Yeah. <laughs> It was um, impressive, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. African-American male, like young guy with tons of bone and a massive jaw. And I was like, that you must have put some serious force on this. I mean, like, technically, I if you told the patient that a jaw fracture is possible, like, I guess you're okay. As long as you could, as long as that was in your consent. But I don't, that's, that's not good. That's not good. I don't know. Anyway. Okay. So right. let's do, um, can you guys see my screen? Mm, yes. Yes, because I sleep. Okay, good, good, awesome, perfect. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Wonderful. Good. 
Okay, so a uh, 25 year old male presents to your office with a CC of uh, my lower right wisdom tooth hurts really bad. Okay, um, I would want to get a uh, history of present illness. How long has it been bothering him? Is this the first time that it's bothering him? Is this something that happens every so often? Any swelling, any difficulty chewing, opening, um, medical history? So he's pretty healthy. He just has a little bit of a heart murmur, uh, like was told he had that in his childhood, but it doesn't bother him. He plays sports just fine. Um, he has taken no meds, uh, allergic to penicillin. He's had a tonsillectomy before. I had no, no issues with that. Um, drinks occasionally, but that's about it. Um, you uh, take a look inside his mouth and you see this. What's uh, going on here? Okay. Um, I see a partially erupted... Uh, Looks like tooth number. Is this the right or the left side? Yeah, <laughs> I can't tell if it's the right or the left. This this is uh pretend this, this is the right. right. This yeah. is the right. Okay. Uh partially erupted uh tooth number uh, 32 with erythematous and edematous gingiva. There might be some type of localized abscess. Uh between tooth number 31 and 32. Also, I can see some uh, kind of clusal bite marks uh, overlying, uh, on the gingiva overlying the partially erupted tooth. Okay, how do you like uh, treat this usually? Let's say the patient doesn't wanna have a procedure that day or you can't like fit them in, uh, what, what would you give them? Um, I would put them on some uh, Paradex rinse and I'll send them home with some antibiotics. He's allergic to penicillin, so I would do Clindamycin, uh, 300 milligrams every uh, six hours. Um, and I try to get them back within three to five days. Okay. Maybe so give them a syringe. Yeah, your, your assistant took this image uh, when the patient like first got seated. Um, uh, tell me what you see here. Uh, so I see an orthopancigram of diagnostic quality. Um, I see that condyles are round and seated. Um, max maxillary sinus is aerated. I see a full complement of dentition, no missing teeth. 116, 17, and 32 are impacted. 116, 17 are uh, complete bony impacted. Eh, I guess 32 is also complete bony. Um, one in 16 are vertically impacted and 17 is horizontally impacted. Okay. Uh, what are you concerned about in this patient? I'm sorry? Uh, what are you concerned about um, in this patient with these like radiographic findings? Uh, I would say that his number 32 is in close proximity to the IAN. Um, looks like the, uh, it's hard to um, see what the IAN looks like overlying where the tooth is. It looks like there may be some darkening of the roots in that area, loss of cortical, um, of the cortex, uh, of the, uh, IAN, uh, can I know? Okay. So what's, uh, what's your treatment plan for this? What do you offer for them? Um, I would extract tooth number, uh, 32 at this time. Um, I would clinically check uh, probing depths on the distal of the second molars. I'll see if there's any uh, signs of uh, perichlorinitis or uh, 
um, pain and discomfort associated with any of the other wisdom? Okay. He says, uh, hey, doc, you think, uh, he says, hey, doc, um, what do you, do you think I can, like, I should get all, all my teeth out? Or it looks like I got more than one wisdom tooth. Yeah, I would um, put it, uh, well, I would explain to the patient that um, his wisdom teeth are impacted, but they seem to be covered by bone. There's no uh, pathologic lesions associated with them. And um, based on these radiographs, it doesn't seem like there's any uh, probing depths. He is at the age that he can take them out prophylactically um, because he's 25, but um giving that they're probably asymptomatic and they're covered with, uh, their complete bony. Um, I would just let them know that, yes, we can take them out. Um, but given his lack of symptoms, his age, uh, I, he says there's a lot of pressure on the team. It bothers him. Okay. So that's a reason if he's symptomatic, if he's having issues with them, I would extract them. Um, and just, uh, reiterate that, um, you know, at his age and because of their impaction, he can have more instance of pain, uh, swelling, and it may take a little longer to recover as well as possible nerve injury. Um, okay. uh, what's uh, your for number 32? What, uh, I'm sorry? What you, uh, in regards to number 32, what, uh, what do you offer the patient? What's your plan for that one? Um, I would take a scan, um, and see the proximity of the ion to the, uh, nerve, uh, I'm sorry, the ion to the tooth roots, but I would plan on extracting it. Okay. Um, so patient says like they, they don't want to be numb. They, they want 0% chance of that or minimal at least. Uh, um, I would offer them a coronectomy at that point. Um, I would tell them that that's not going to, uh, it's not going to reduce their chance of having a nerve injury to zero, but it will reduce it, um, versus extracting the tooth. Okay. What, uh, what is a coronectomy? How do you do it? Uh, so for a coronectomy, uh, you would make a distal buckle release just as you would with your, um, third molar, uh, yeah, a distal buckle release, uh, have a full thickness mucoperiosteal flap raised. Um, you would uncover the crown up to the CEJ and with your uh, burr, you would remove the coronal portion of the crown. So any, uh, enamel, um, you can go at the CEJ. You just want to make sure you're two to three millimeters below bone. Um, uh, that basically the bone adjacent to the tooth, it, the remaining tooth roots is at least, uh, two to three millimeters above. Um, okay. yeah. So after, no mobility. Gotcha. So after considering the options and understanding the risks, um, he actually changes his mind. He, he wants to actually remove the tooth completely. So as you're working on 32, um, you know, the root fractures and it's mobile. And you can actually visually see the IAM. So how do you how do you take care of that? The if it's mobile, I would continue to attempt to extract it. Um, maybe remove some bone where the IAM is not, uh, or maybe 
grab the root with a mosquito or something. Um, I wouldn't leave a mobile root behind. Okay, so you're 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 trying, you know, to remove it, and uh, all of a sudden you just get this like brisk bleeding, uh, shooting out everywhere. What uh, what do you do? Uh, pack it. Um, yeah, I would pack it. I would see if the bleeding is coming from where the nerve is or where the uh, bone is. Um, but I would pack it and. What do you like to use? I would pack it with just some gauze cause pressure, maybe soak the gauze in some uh, local anesthetic like lidocaine with epinephrine. Okay. The, uh, the gauze just keeps, uh, keeps getting real saturated. Um, it's been like 10 minutes. Um, is, there, is there something else you can put in there? I'd probably put some uh, gel foam, uh, okay. so gel sponge. Hmm? What is gel foam? How does it work? Uh, it acts as a matrix to hold uh, for platelets to bind. Um, so try putting some of that in. Um, um, so you, that, that works. Um, and the, you know, the root tip is still, I mean, still oozing just a little bit, but it, it's controlled now. Um, what, what do you do now with the, the mobile root tip? Do you still take uh, it out? At this point, I would probably um, just, close up and come back in a few weeks. Okay, what's uh, what's the risk of leaving the root tip behind? Um, what's the risk of leaving the root tip behind? I would say that uh, you can have local inflammation, a foreign body kind of reaction, um, causing further damage to the IAN. Okay. So um, you then, uh, you close that area up, you decide to go work on number one. And as you're working on it, the tooth suddenly like disappears. Wow. What happened? Where'd it go? Uh, probably went to the infra. Well, it could be in the sinus, which uh, may or may not be, but most likely it's probably in the infratemporal fossa. Okay. Is there um, some type of imaging you can get for, for this? Uh, get a CT scan. Um, if I have one available, uh, just to localize the tooth. Uh, oh, it is in the sinus. Nice. Uh, what, not nice. Sorry. <laughs> what, what, what's going on here? How would you, uh, how would you handle this? Um, it seems like a tooth is displaced into the sinus. Uh, first thing I would do is, um, depending on my flap, uh, design, I would see if I can get it from the actual, uh, socket. Uh, maybe grab some of the uh, follicle and see if I can pull it in. Uh, if that doesn't work, then I would uh, do a uh, Caldwell Luck approach um, in order to uh, get the tooth out. Okay. What if it gets displaced into the infratemporal fossa? What's your, your protocol um, for something like that? I would try again to uh, get it. Uh, from the falcal, from any attachment. Uh, if not, I would um, revisit in a few weeks, uh, four weeks, uh, let it fibrose, and then see if I can attempt to get it then. If not, then uh, I would have to just go to the operating room and attempt to retrieve it. Okay. So another patient comes in your office. Uh, this is a month after getting a tooth out by another oral surgeon in his hometown. He complains that, you know, whenever... He drinks some water. It's weirdly coming out of his nose. Uh, what's going on? 
Uh, he probably has an oral intro, a communication, uh, or a fistula if it's been a few months. Uh, so he has a connection from his uh, maxillary sinus into his mouth. What, uh, what do you tell the patient? What, how would you treat this? Um, so I would talk to the patient and, um, well, I would remove the fistula and close the hole, um, depending on the size. Well, not even depending on the size. I'll probably do a buckle fat pad, um, and a buckle advancement flap, which, yeah, and then close up the area that way. Okay. So patient asks, like, um, did, did my doc like mess this up? Uh, why, why did this happen to me? Tell him that um, the maxillary sinus, uh, uh, maxillary teeth, uh, sometimes the tip of the teeth can be in the sinus. And when you extract a tooth, there can be a communication and it can happen to anyone. And uh, most of the time they heal by themselves, but sometimes they, they don't and you have to uh, fix them or a permanent uh, communication. Uh, um, and there is a solution. <laughs> Yeah, patient goes. I can't. I can't really like afford this. This is this is a lot, you know. And it's not something my doc ever talked to me about. Uh, should my doc be paying for this? It's, this seems like their their fault. I would say that that is a conversation you need to have with your the doctor who extracted the tooth and see if they're um, willing to compensate you for the repair. Um, I'm willing to work with you both of you um, if that's the case. Good job. We went a little over, but I just wanted to kind of get through it. But throw some uh, ethics yeah. in there. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, it's it's a something we like Like I had a patient that had something similar and uh she just like got a post-op infection at like a wisdom tooth site and another oral surgeon like took care of her in California and like left a bunch of debris in like the like the socket. Like there was like loose bone and you know, I like did this like massive debridement for her and like IND and everything. And like the patient was like, fine. Like she paid for everything. Like it was no problem. And then like a week later, like the oral surgeon calls me and he's like, the office that he was offering to pay for it. But he wanted to talk to me first too. I'm talking to him and then the guy went ape shit. And I was just like, okay, like <laughs> what you, told, you just told me you like were going to pay for it. Like, what's, that's nice of you. I was like, you don't have to. I was like, the patient already like, paid for it and he was just like expecting to do it for free and I'm like you left a bunch of crap behind like why I understand he was yelling at me at that point so I just didn't care but um, he wanted he wanted you to do it for free he wanted me to do it for free yeah because he said I know it was like ridiculous oh I don't know why I stopped sharing my screen I'm sorry I wanted to actually do brief um but it was just really like awkward uncomfortable so I think you handled that really well um sorry actually no give me one second I'll be sure uh uh, some, sometimes it sometimes it happens i mean but you <laughs> if one of your colleagues is mopping up for you I, I feel like no make sure they're covered i don't know yeah like if it's somebody i know of course i'm going to take care of the patient you know yeah. but like i don't know like i don't know the quality of your work like I'm, what if this isn't the first time what if you just suck you know like i don't I mean, I get it. it sucks for the patient too, but at the same time, it's like, this is, you know, my time and it's a lot of time. And, uh, I, I refer all it. of my problem patients to Dr. Greg Shank. <laughs> that, you know what? It's funny because that's what I told the guy on the phone. I was like, oh, oh, you, you take care of all your, your buddies? Like, 
your complications. Like, great, I'll tell all my friends about you. I was like, I'm gonna send all the patients to you. Anyway, it was it was interesting. Um, okay, so uh, just to kind of debrief real quick, um, I think you did a really good job here. This is just pericornitis. So I just kind of wanted. I don't know if they would ever throw this in there, but just kind of like a symptomatic reason to get a wisdom tooth out. Um, we see this like so much in our patients, and I feel like you know this is definitely I had it myself, so definitely good reason to get wisdom tooth out. Um, this was good. I think you got you hit all the key points. Um, you know, you identified like the the overlapping IAN over here. Um, obviously everything was complete bony. So I like that you kind of paused on getting the wisdom teeth out instead of just like jumping to it and like waiting for like an actual reason to get the wisdom teeth out. Cause I think that's something that, um, it's like so easy for us to, um, to jump into just cause we've seen impacted wisdom teeth all the time and we know like what could potentially happen with them. But I do think that there's still, you should still have some clinical reasons as to like why you're taking out other, like otherwise completely asymptomatic teeth. Um, so I think that was really good. And then you waited till I gave you like an actual reason for removal, which was, um, um, uh, you know, patient symptoms basically. Um, and then, you know, I think Sorry, you know, all the Abana, not, to, yeah, yeah. not to interrupt you, um, just like for our review, I think the pericornitis, what are the bacteria that are most common? I think it's what, Cavatella, strep. Yeah, I think it's like four. And then fuso, I think a fusobacterium, right? Oh, yeah. Throw in a bacterioides, too. That always yeah. sounds good. <laughs> little Iconella. <laughs> <laughs> I think, like, I'm pretty sure in residency, you always said, like, SPF for pericornitis or, like, the most common. So I think it's, I'm pretty sure, is it porphyrin? It The P is porphyrmonis, or is it Capitella? But no, fusobacterium and then yeah. strep. Does anybody like, really know? Uh, That's the question. I don't know. It was like something we talked about in residency a lot. So I just thought I'd bring it up. Oh, really? Not that I recall because residency is three years ago for me. <laughs> uh, but anyway, sorry, you can go on and check the drugs. Yeah, that's that's really good. Actually, probably you know probably ask that. That's that's definitely a fair question. Um, but yeah, I think I'll, like just remember all your period, like five or six period pathogens that are like most common. Uh, actino, what is it? That one that's like AA, Actinobacter, aggregate, something. Actinomyces, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There's one that's like a really long name, but okay. Um, but yeah, I think I think Carly did a really good job like identifying and kind of working through all the different complications that can happen, like root tip breaks, it's by the IAN, IAN's exposed, what do you do with it? You know, it's mobile, you got to get it out versus like if it's not moving, then you kind of just, you know, you're going to leave it alone. Um, the only thing I would know, I would say is like, uh, if the root tip is less than two millimeters and there's a high risk for nerve injury, like personally, I would just kind of leave it, even if it is a little bit mobile, like if I, I really can't get it out, uh, because then like the risks could outweigh the benefits. Um, but I think it's good to just like attempt to remove it. And then if it's, nothing's happening, then, you know, if it's less than two, I think, I think that's the cutoff is you can just kind of like leave it. Um, and then, um, yeah, like infection is like your biggest risk. And then the, uh, like the products you would use if you had some type of bleeding in that area, you know, where it would be coming from. I didn't ask that, like, where could the bleeding be coming from? Usually it's like, because I think I was trying to get you to say like IAN, like neurovascular bundle, just because of the anatomy that was going on there and the fact that the nerve was exposed. Um, but yeah, you did, you did really good. Um, what else did I talk about? Um, I'm trying to think about it. 
oh yeah, here the uh, the sinus. Um, yeah, you know, you can display we displace it in the sinus and for temporal fossa, kind of like your most common areas. And then call the luck, um, waiting for super fibrosis before going into the temporal fossa. Um, I don't know how like technical they would get, like using you know CT guided technology to like go after the tooth. Yeah, probably not. It's just like yeah. But yeah, maybe if I, I mean doubt. if if you would do it, then say it. Um, right, right, right. There's there's nothing wrong, but they may dig into it if you suggest it and um i mean these guys are are trained to be ex i mean they're experts on whatever section they're presenting so if you say you know you know guided guided whatever um they may press you on it <laughs> fair enough um yeah and then you know here this one's just like oh fistula and then i think i had one more this is just like a dry socket but we were like already 14 minutes so um I just kind of put that in as just a backup just in case we need more time. But um, yeah, Fischula and kind of the, you identified what it was. Um, so you got properly diagnosed the patient and then properly treated, which I think it's reasonable to do a buckle pad, pad right away with this because it's been persistent for over a month and nothing's really helping. And you can kind of just tell like where exactly that, that tract is. That's not really going to get better. It's hard to get like two layer closure with just a single flap advancement in that area. So. Um, yeah, I think it was, it was really good. Good job. I like it. It's like you do this every day or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, di <laughs> displacing teeth into the intertemporal fossa every day. Every day, yeah. We got anything else for today? I think that's about it. Okay, mm -hmm. oh, hey, question, uh, Ryan. Comes to like, sorry, look, uh, when it comes to like, this is a question I had, like, I was making this case. When it comes to like dental alveolar, do they ask about sedation during it? Or is it just like a brief gloss over? Like, they might be like, how do you, what's your anesthetic plan? And then do you just say, I would plan to sedate this patient? Or is it something that they just completely skip and just, you're going to get into it in the anesthesia section anyway? Or I, like, I, I think since there's a section dedicated to it, it would be unlikely. Um, okay. Again, I, I, you know, I, I don't think we can discuss actual questions or answers or actual cases, mm -hmm. but uh, right, right. I'd have to say because there's an anesthesia section that they focus more on the topic they're examining you on, not just take you from, you have a tooth displaced in the intertemporal fossa and then you have an anesthetic emergency or something. Um, yeah, makes sense. I mean, if we could design a couple cases like that. I mean, it would keep us on our toes and you'd know when you got to the actual case that like nothing can spin you around backwards. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah. I, I think that'd be a little mean. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. Uh, with, uh, with the recordings, I think you mentioned in the last email, but I missed a couple of the sessions, especially the one uh, with like Oleg and Tarek. I think we're giving tips and stuff. Uh, when were those, those going to come out? Uh, I'm hoping to have like the first few up before the new year. It takes some, a little editing, uh, just cause like the audio quality and stuff on some people's feed, you know, needs to be cleaned up, but, uh, yeah, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'll put them up. Oh, wow. Give me yeah. some editing work in there. <laughs> a little bit. I never thought I'd be doing that. 
Wow, video editing. Well, thank you very much for putting that together. Looking forward. Yeah, to I it. mean, it helps everybody. It would have helped me, and that was kind of the point behind this. I'm like, man, I, you know, this sort of thing would have been so helpful. And I'm like, uh, you know, I, I think we can pay it forward. Um, I'm also putting together like some. I had this deck of flashcards, and I just uh, found someone on upwork to like type them up and stuff so I'll, I'll send you guys the file when whenever that's done too because that's as far as like loading phrases up i call them sound bites because like i just memorize this flashcard and it basically be loaded up in my head where they ask you i mean they, they can ask you anything from like what are the different stages of blood loss or uh what is duchenne's or what would you do in a laryngospasm if you're having to stop and think about what those things are, you're like wasting minutes um, on the exam. And it's, it's pretty much just, it's a game of how fast you can go and rack up the points. Um, so if you have these, if you have these phrases and these, uh, that one to two sentence blurb about every disease and whatever you'll encounter, if you have that loaded up already, it saves you time. You don't have to think you can, conserve your mental bandwidth for like the more important things that you have to think about like what would i do if i displaced a tooth how would i handle this uh um you know professionalism scenario that you can't memorize so um i'll let you guys know when that's up too thanks ryan yeah yeah merry <laughs> christmas guys happy new year and See you next Sunday. See you next year. Thank you. Bye. I gotta sharpen my swords for the oral boards. I learned them from Mattel, and he's the Lord. And I'm his protege. You know I'm gonna slay all these motherfucking questions today. Cause I got the sound bite. They're gonna make these old men go, ooh, ah, like some afternoon delight. Yo, I got these questions in my sight, and I got the answers. Yo, my answers is so ill. That's a wrap on another week of Fight Club. If you'd like to participate in the study club or you'd like to submit a case, shoot me an email. Dr. Patel, as in D-R-P-A-T-E-L at bondoralsurgery.com. Like, follow, or click subscribe to get updates and material. If you found this valuable and would like to support us, please head to our website to contribute. Bond is committed to creating value for the dental community and making healthcare healthier. As little as $499 gets you the Soundbites Pack, a proven method designed to help you automate information during oral discussion. A full disclaimer, this podcast represents the opinions of the owner and participants. We discuss no questions or answers of the American Board of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery Oral Certifying Examination on this podcast. The express purpose of this course is to provide continuing education in the field of oral and maxillofacial surgery for those in attendance. This course is neither approved, recommended, nor endorsed by the American Board of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery. It is not and should not be construed as an official guide in the preparation for any American Board of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery certifying examination. In addition, this course does not guarantee that the participant will pass any examination administered by any regulating body. The use of this podcast and the materials linked to this podcast are at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast does not constitute medical advice, 
nor guidance of medicine, surgery, nursing, dentistry, or other health specialties.